0: If you would open your Bibles to Exodus 20, we're concluding our study on the Ten Commandments. We've gone through each one. We've at length discussed the moral law of God, and in light of that, who Christ is, what He's done. Uh, what it is uh, that remains for us, how we're to view it. And today we're we're looking at that last bracket at the end of the giving of that moral law. We're going to read Exodus 20, verse 18 down to 21. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now when all the people saw the thunder And the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. That you may not sin, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. It is light and life that we so desperately need. Or as we come before you, we do so as those who need to be taught. We need to see Jesus. Or that's not something that I can manufacture as, as a human being, that's something that you need to do. Would you be pleased to do that? Would you show us Jesus? Would you reorient our lives around your gospel? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. delight to meet with God. A lot of songs today encourage this this existential meeting, I want to see your face, etc., etc. Well, I think this is a great way to plug us back into Exodus because it shows us the nature of that reality. You wanna know what it's like to meet with God? Look at Sinai. Again, this was bracketed for us in chapter 19. We see lightning and hear thunder. It feels like heaven and earth are being ripped apart and an entire nation is standing at the base of the mountain away from it. They can't touch it. Remember them, their children, their animals, they can't touch it lest they die. Meeting with God. To to re-situate us in this story, it's helpful to, to go back and see where we came from and to, to again re-engage this. Exodus opens with a new Pharaoh. Remember they got there with Joseph and the favor that he had before Pharaoh and thus he he rose to the second in command over all the land you, you remember. There the people teemed and swarmed. They grew. They did what they were supposed to do as the people of God. They're carrying out this, this commission to, to man to, to be fruitful and multiply and spread out. They're doing that in Egypt. Then this guy comes along. He doesn't know them and in fact is not knowing them and the the fact that they're growing and becoming powerful he, he begins to see them as a threat a threat that can easily and has to be eliminated but they're a great workforce right can't just kill everybody we just need to intimidate them so thus began programs a series of unrolling programs to to brutalize Israel, brutal slavery, terrible bondage, and then that that wasn 't working because they were actually growing all the more as these programs were rolled out so then let 's okay let 's let 's do something to reduce their numbers a little bit let 's let 's toss all the baby boys into the Nile, but then these two uh, midwives come on the scene. They're like, I don't know what's going on. By the time we get there, the the babies are born. These, These women are vigorous. They're still swarming. They're still teeming. They're still growing. Then, in the water of the Nile that should have been a death sentence, out floats this tiny little ark. Right? An ark of safety in a river of death. And in that tiny little ark is Moses, right? Do you remember? The instrument of the Lord. By the providence of the the Lord, he grows. He he, he grows in understanding of who he is, his people. He grows in understanding of who and what Egypt is. And he makes a, a, a clear, he, he desires, he makes a clear choice. I'm, I'm the liberator of these people. He rises up and slays an Egyptian. That didn't go so well. Yes, the Lord will use him, but not in this way. So then he has to flee. And there, he, when he's a, away from the people in this other land, the Lord meets him. There we see fire in a bush. Right? Moses, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. He encounters a a holy God who who expresses to him this. I know my people are suffering. I know that. And God says, they're mine and I'm coming to get them. And I'm going to use you. As part of that. And that's exactly what God does. He he goes in and he he gets his people. Pharaoh doesn't want that to happen. God continues to mold Pharaoh's heart against him and, and harden it against him so that he will be glorified over Pharaoh. And he does so in a series of escalating plagues. Which rain down destruction on Egypt and largely spare the people of God. After their release from bondage, this infant Israel is then baptized in the Red Sea. Through the waters, their lives are spared and their enemies utterly destroyed. Covered up. Then they're taken by the hand of their father and led through the wilderness. A trial for water. We're thirsty, you brought us here so we could die of thirst, God. Strike the rock. We're hungry, you brought us here so so we could starve to death. Provision manna and quail. Then he leads them by the hand to Sinai, where again, like that bush that was on fire, we see a huge flame. We, we, we encounter a holy God here. Here's the assessment given to us in chapter 19. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's come here to initiate a covenant Sometimes referred to as the Mosaic Covenant. It's the beginning and opening details of that covenant that we've spent a good bit of time on for the last couple of months. Here at the mountain, it's not a pretty sight. I promise you this Israel wasn't at the base of the mountain singing songs about desiring to be face to face with this God didn't happen very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled this is all out of chapter 19 thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God there it is listen meeting with God this is such an important theme in all of scripture who made us? God did. Why? To give him glory. To be with him. To express him. To bear his image. To reflect it back to him. To, to dwell with him. That's why God made us. To meet with him. To be present with him. That's what we're to be. And yet we know that 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 relationship was broken in sin, the fall and death. It was crushed. And God promised yet again to restore this relationship, him with his people. This isn't just some isolated thing where God meets with us. This is a theme, a central theme of all of God's word. Eternity past to eternity future, it's about being with God in his presence. That's what's going on here. God is meeting with his His people at Sinai. It's not just Moses that hears. All of Israel, the entire nation is hearing this. These ten commandments, the, the very word of God. Why does God have to save us? Is it to give us a clean slate? A do over? Is that what salvation is about? Salvation, a a do over for us? What does God intend for saving a people for Himself? What's Christ all about? the God-man, the the one that loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, it's not to to temporarily wipe our conscience clean. It's it's to make us the people of God, to orient all that we are around him. That's what God is doing in his gospel and delivering a, a people God is inviting those people to reorient who they are, their whole life around Him. That's what He's doing here. In Christ, meeting with God is now not just relegated to Israel. In Christ, this invitation goes out through all the world, every nation every tongue, every tribe, invited in, come meet with God. All who find refuge in Christ and his gospel are the people of God. The salvation is free and rich and beautiful. And it goes out to those of us here today who are, who are longing for something, longing for a deep connection with God. It's what we have in Christ. We have a meeting with him. Through faith in Christ, we live and die as the people of God. Longing for one day a fully restored, in his presence relationship, face-to-face with Jesus. Meeting with God isn't, however, this warm, fuzzy thing. There's terror here. Again, you put yourself there. Put yourself with Israel at the base of Sinai. Those of you with kids, which is fantastic this, this morning to, to look and see all of our babies uh, playing together. What would you do with your babies at the base of Sinai? If you, if you touch the mountain, you die. This is a holy God. He is not to be transgressed against. You you can't defy this God. It says that they see thunder. They see lightning. The the term there is they're experiencing all of this. And it's like the whole mountain is a a huge kiln. Again, it's, it's burning in fire. The smoke is going up as a kiln. This is, this is a terrible sight. So here they are meeting with God. And here we see the fear of God. Again, this, this section bookends the beginning in which we're told that the people were very afraid and now they've heard the moral law and they're really scared. Before it was just this experience, but now they've heard How holy God is. They've heard his just demands. So what is exactly the the cause of of the fear? Well, again, this manifestation would be scary. That would be enough for me. I'm out. I I don't want to see this anymore. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like a great sight. This sounds terrible. But again, I, I believe there's more going on under the surface because of what they ask of Moses. Underneath, the underneath layer is this. They said to Moses, You speak to us. Don't let him speak to us anymore, lest we die. Do y'all know what that's talking about? We just went through this for 15 weeks. What are they talking about? Don't let him speak to us. What did God say to them? The Ten Commandments. That's what they just heard. They just heard the weight of the moral law placed on them from Sinai. How does that sit with us? Is that something great that we take on? Yea, moral law. I've got it, I'm good. No, it's a terrible thing. That's the fear they experience here. Here Moses says something interesting. If you have your Bibles open, look at it with me. Look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Does any of that strike you as odd? (laughs) Let's read it one more time. It's Sunday morning. Sometimes it's hard. Again, the people have asked for for Moses to speak to them instead of God. And then Moses says, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. The way I read it is this, don't be afraid, be afraid. Does that that strike you as odd? It does me. Don't be afraid, be afraid. acknowledging something that's very true, and it's true in all of our lives, there are different kinds of fear. And one kind, he's, he's saying, hey, not that, but this. Not that kind of fear, but this kind of fear. And I believe there are tremendous lessons for those in Christ to, to hear right here in this text. Moses realizes that this shaking, quaking, trembling fear at the base of the mountain isn't going to sustain Israel in the future. We're not going to have to read very far in Exodus where this fear is just going to be kind of vanished. It's going to be gone. The fear that needs to stick around is the second type that would generally control the, the lives of people that you may not sin, Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And again, we see fear of God commended throughout the Old and into the New Testament. When we were on vacation, I was revisited by my old friend, terror of heights. Sometimes that friend comes around and visits me and we don't get along so well, because when that friend is with me, I get nauseated. I'm walking on the edge of a cliff. There's a huge drop right here, and I am terrified. And I express that in many ways, mainly having whoever is immediately around me touch the inside wall so we're not there by the cliff. I have a fear of heights. If I stand on the edge of that thing long enough, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get dizzy. It's not fun. That's that's a type of fear. This trip did something else, though. This trip all the way through was attended by another kind of fear. But I wouldn't describe it as fear, I would describe it as this, absolute awe. I was in awe. Looking down this canyon, where you have 2,000-foot sheer drops, it's nine miles long. You're seeing these massive peaks. there's wildlife everywhere. It's the Zion Canyon. It's gorgeous. And to go up into that canyon, you, you, you start this, a trip like this, and you feel big and you've got everything planned out, and then suddenly you get there and you feel tiny. And utterly insignificant. And oh my, the maker of this is incredible. You're left with a sense of awe at beauty, at your maker, and you feel small. You're put in your place. Two different kinds of fear, vastly different expressions in the same person. Moses, hey, hey Israel, don't don't be afraid that the fear of God may be before you. These two two types of fear are talked about in various places in Scripture. And one is what is called servile fear. This is the fear of a servant or a slave before a master. I think sometimes this is the kind of fear that we think is demanded of us. Even those of us who are in Christ, this kind of fear looks like constantly questioning the love of God. Last week we heard expounded that nothing could separate us from the love of God in Christ. This kind of fear comes into our hearts and says, Oh, I should be afraid. I should be afraid. This kind of fear invites constant questioning Is if, am I really God's child? Does he really love me? That's servile fear. Constant fear that we'll be treated differently tomorrow than we are today. Today I'm feeling particularly good about my relationship with God because I've done, you know, X, Y, and Z. I feel good. Tomorrow, God is going to relate to me different than today. Constant fear that you're going to lose the love of God based on behavior. Servile fear. This kind of fear constantly lacks the assurance that we heard of last week. This fear cowers before the grace of God. God. This fear hides sin. Did you know that? Did you know that fear is what causes us to hide our sin and shame? This kind of fear can't take in the love of God. This kind of fear constantly measures behavior. How good am I today? I'm not that great, but I'm better than him. That's what servile fear tends to do it measures us against the other. Hey, I'm bad. We confessed our sins, I'm confessed up today in worship, but I'm not as bad as him. He's still going to be bad on Monday. Servile fear. Moses knows that this kind of fear isn't going to do anything for you long term. How about this? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Servile fear looks at God as a harsh master and we're slaves in his house and there's a sense in which the law does exactly that. It captures us all. This is in fact what the law does. And there's another fear. Servile fears contrast with familial fear. Familial fear. This kind of fear is rooted in adoration and love. Love that consists in awe and reverence and honor and worship. This fear is a response for who God is and what he has done. It registers that God is transcendent and majestic and high above us. It also registers that we are in relationship with him. That he's the one who's led us out of bondage. He is our redeemer it's relational it's rooted in this one word can capture it sonship your sons and daughters of god this is the fear that belongs to a child and all of their parents I don't know if you've ever spent any time at a certain coffee establishment in another local body in our community. Maybe you have. This coffee establishment, more coffee. It's great They have good coffee. There's a, there's a big glass wall right there. You go into the coffee shop, you're hanging out with your friends, you're drinking coffee, and you look back there and there's tons of kids playing on the playground. I mean, it can be a madhouse in there. It's fantastic, it can get wild. If you sit around there long enough, you'll see something interesting happen. I've seen it happen multiple times. So you're sitting there, you're enjoying your coffee, and one of the moms or dads slips out for a minute, right? They just slip out from the playground area, out the glass door, it's glass, everybody can see, and they come to the counter and order a coffee hurriedly right but then before the mom has time or dad has time to get back it registers with the kid oh no where did my parent go and then the tears start right and the screams and then the next thing you know a kid is like panicked absolute panic is coming out of the glass room the kid is like red faced crying stuck against the the door where's dad Where's mom? They've left me. Do you know that feeling? That's a sense in which Israel here is being encouraged to fear the Lord an awe, a need, a desire, a relationship. Not servile fear. Not some kid, like, dreading that he's going to be. No, they're gone. The the one that I know and love and that loves me more than anything that is in relationship with me is, is, where are they? That's the panic that's going on in that room. It's astounding. And then the mom, like, grabs her coffee, spills it everywhere. She's trying to get back in. The dad is like, I don't know what to do. I can't call me. But then they they come back together, you know, just like that. The tears are dried up. kid's back to play You can go there one time, any time of the day and see this all play out. That is familial fear. That's what's going on. It's an awe. It's a reverence. It's a love. That's the kind of fear that's going to shape you, Israel. Keep that fear in front of you. Every illustration, I know, breaks down, but... Next time you see that play out, or next time that plays out with one of your kids, think about this. What about a fear of going to college? Parents, I'm speaking to my own heart here. What about a fear of transitional things? We're, we all have that. Let me just ask you what do, what do you fear? What kind of fear moves and motivates you? What kind of fear change, changes and shapes you? I'm reading the narrative life of Frederick Douglass. Actually, I finished it. And it's remarkable because these two fears just come bubbling to the surface. And it, and it works like this. That man knows fear. He sees his his friends and his Parents beaten down. He sees human beings sold who, who he deeply loves. That's servile fear. But then he has this other side to him. It's beautiful and relational. And he, he looks around all his friends in Baltimore and he's he's saying, I've had enough. I am moving to freedom. I'm going. And, and in that going, you know what? His heart is breaking because he, he, he fears the loss of friends. He fears those who love him deeply. These two fears set side by side, which is the most powerful? His love for his community would define his life in Freedom. So much so that he would pin books for us to look back on and see what was going on. Moses is like, hey, don't be afraid like that here. Carry this fear with you your whole life. So far we have this meeting with God and the, the fear of God, and here we see the grace of God. How can this transaction take place? How do you transition from servile fear, this quaking thing, to a relational fear and awe of God? How does that happen? Well, that's about to go down. You speak to us. We'll all listen. Don't let God speak to us lest we die. Uh, they know that this is, the trajectory of this is not good for them. Moses comforts the people. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here's the thing. This transition takes place through mediation. Israel knows that to stand before this God, they would be right to quake and shake in their boots. I don't know what else you would do or I would do different. So the question hanging over Israel is, what will make God safe How are we ever going to continue in relationship with a holy God? What is going to make him safe? Is that the question that you have? What will make a holy God safe? And the answer they have is mediation. Hey, Moses, you talk to us. We'll listen to you. Don't let God talk to us. The people can't abide the presence of this God. They cannot abide the presence of His holy word. They know that this relationship has got to be mediated to them through another. And that other in Exodus is Moses. Moses would act as the mediator between God and Israel for years to come, but there's a problem with Moses. You see, he too was afraid. Deuteronomy gives us the same account or one similar to it, and it said he's scared, he's shaking his boots too. Hebrews 3 makes clear that Moses did a good job with his tasks, but Jesus Christ is so much superior to Moses as a mediator. You see, only God can make God safe. Your righteousness can't make God safe. Your righteousness cannot make God safe. It's not enough. You can't reinterpret God and say, oh, God is love, and the Bible says that God is love, and so he's going to be safe. It says a lot. Yes, God is love, but God is a lot of other things. Just saying God is love doesn't make him safe. God loves everybody. He's not going to send anyone to hell. He's not going to judge anybody. The Bible says something different. You can't make God safe by getting rid of the parts that are hard to reckon with. That doesn't make God safe. God would never do anything or act in any way that I wouldn't do or act that does not make god safe making god like you doesn't make him safe he will not conform to you to your image or me and my image he alone is god he is not like us thinking of him a certain way doesn't suddenly make him safe for us the only thing that makes him safe for us is a mediator We need someone to go between. Only God can make God safe. The only way to reorient our fears from slavery to family is the beloved Son of God, Jesus Christ, the mediator. He's the mediator of a new covenant. The Old Covenant produces this slavish fear over and over. And here we go with the New Covenant. I'm just going to finish because Hebrews 12 recounts some commentary on this very thing for us. We're just going to end right here. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 18. He says this, For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made his hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "'I tremble with fear.' That's not the mountain you come to. Picking up in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festual gathering, that is, party clothes. Angels in party clothes and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Sinai, you came to a blazing torch. You came to a fire that would burn you down. You came to division. And now you've come to Zion in Jesus Christ, a different mountain. And all, notice all that, that are there. God, the judge, is there. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is there. People are there. The saints are there. Angels are there, gathered in his presence together. That's a meeting with God through Christ, the mediator of a new covenant. Now to finish the text, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Would you shape our fears? Put them ever before us. Lord, as we relate to you, not with Moses as a mediator, but Christ, a superior mediator. The only one to make you safe. And in that, may we view ourselves as sons and daughters and look on you in awe. Knowing that you love us. You've conquered death, defeated the enemy, Satan. You give us life and freedom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.